What up, Doe? It's Tommy Runs. This is episode number 55, 56, 56. <laughs> Somebody asked me what my age was, how old I was the other day, and I said the wrong number, which is strange. Um, sometimes you just forget, man. Like when you're a kid, you know, oh, I'm 16 and a half. But now I'm like, wait, what, what's, what, what is it? Uh, anyway, this is episode number 56 with Matt Taylor. If you don't know who Matt Taylor is, then you will know after this episode because Matt Taylor is um, a pioneer. Matt Taylor is a founder of Tracksmith. Tracksmith running, Tracksmith clothing, Tracksmith apparel, Tracksmith that you have seen almost everywhere for the last few years for sure. Um, Tracksmith is arguably one of the most recognizable brands, running brands like like ever. I mean, ever. From a distance, it, it, you could be a quarter mile away or something like that and you could see a tracksmith singlet or a shirt from that far like race day when they come out the gate and there's a bunch of tracksmith people out there it looks like they it's a team and they came to win even if they don't know each other Tra- team tracksmith for the win anyway this is a part of the runpreneur series so glad to have matt on the show and talk about starting the brand running journey business journey the ups and the downs, the goods and the bads, and a lot of advice, a lot of gems for people that are just wanting to start something new, people that are just wanting to continue their process that they're in right now, uh, some huge and great entrepreneurial secrets and in, in, in moments here. So please check it out. Thanks, Matt Taylor, for being on the show. Follow us on Instagram at, at the Run, Eat, Sleep Show, and then also subscribe to this podcast because I love you and you love me. Check out this episode with Matt Taylor. What's up, everybody? It's Tommy Runs. This is the Run, Eat, Sleep Show, episode number 56. We are moving right along. Today's episode is part three. Part three of the Runtrepreneur series where I get to talk to people who have started something dope. Uh, They started a run company. They started a clothing line. They started a shoe company. They this and that. So hopefully we continue to keep this rolling because what I've noticed... In my short time in this industry, or not in this industry, but as a runner, um, is that people in this community are have an entrepreneurial spirit. I don't know what it is. I don't know if people that just like punishment tend to gravitate towards entrepreneurship and business, or if and they also like running because it's also some type some t- type of torture and punishment. But so today we have the CEO and founder of Tracksmith. If you don't know what Tracksmith is, well, I'm I'm just going to say, everybody knows what Tracksmith is and who Tracksmith is and what they've done and what they're doing in this short period of time that they've been crushing the game. So I will wait until the founder, Matt Taylor, jumps on board with us today so we can get to talking, we can ask some questions. Please get your questions in. Um, There is a little comment section at the bottom and we're going to throw all the comments there and questions and all that stuff. So we're going to talk about running. We're going to talk about business. We're going to talk about just stuff, man. Um, looking forward to talking to talking to Matt. From what I hear, I mean, the dude's just a cool guy. So let's just get this thing rolling. I see Tracksmith in the house, so let me see if I can connect the bunch of us together so we can figure this whole thing out and have a good time talking about running and clothes and this dope uh, shirt that I have on, because that makes sense. What's up, Matt? Hey, how's it going? How's it going? I just want to say, number one, I love this because that's like, this is my lifestyle. Oh, look, it's not even planned. I've got, I've got some amateur. Yeah, look at that. I don't know who made, I don't know what brand made this shirt, but I mean, it's just, it works <laughs> out. You know, it works out for me. You know what I'm saying? Um, man, I really do appreciate you being on the show, dude. Um, and I don't really know where to start, I mean, because you, you've got a lot going on. In so many different ways, um, and I don't want to be like like mundane and take it back to the beginning. But I always the the series that I'm doing right now is called the Run Entrepreneur Series because in running there's a, just a ton of entrepreneurs, and it just seems like the two somehow go together, right? Um, and I just want to start with in the beginning just to see what your running journey was like in the beginning. How did you get started? And you can feel feel free to take it back to the moment. Like when you were two and you just took off down the street, you know. I don't know what. When, when did everything start for you? Um, that's a that's a. I, I don't remember back to two. Okay, I mean, okay. I was actually 
I was in love with some other sports. I really loved basketball and baseball. Those were my two my two sports. Okay. Really, all the way up until high school. Um, I played basketball through high school. Um, I stopped baseball after my freshman year. I think it was one of those cases where you know when I was playing sports as a as a youth, you mm-hmm. know, twelve, eleven, ten, younger. I was usually the fastest or one of the fastest, you know, kids on the team. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of always in the back of my head, but I really had aspirations to be a professional athlete and in, in some other sport. Um, but, you know, as time went on, it became clear that, that I was probably faster than I was, uh, a good shooter or, <laughs> okay. you know, could, could, could hit or, or throw a pitch. Um, so I gravitated towards, towards running in high school, really my freshman year, um, like I said, I still played baseball and basketball, so it wasn't really until my sophomore year that I started running cross country in the fall and then mm-hmm. track in the spring. But in the in the winter season, um, we didn't have indoor track, so mm-hmm. so I continued to play basketball all through, um, you know, all through all through high school. So I was kind of late, late, late. I mean, not late yeah. compared to some people. Some people don't find it till after college. But in terms of an athlete that competed in college and yeah. cross country and track and field, I kind of came a little bit later to it. Yeah, so I mean, so like, so you've been you're competitive, kind of, you know, just growing up, and when you connected, like, and when you started running for sure, like you said, like, let me just gravitate towards this freshman year of, of high school. Um, you know, what was that like? I mean, was it is it was it everything you you, you that you were kind of missing in the other sports, and you everything clicked, or how did that work for you? It was actually an like I I absolutely loved the differences between team sports and individual sports so basketball i love like that feeling of being part of a a a group of five trying to achieve a goal you know and like what that takes to do it and then on the flip side of that like cross country although it's a team sport and there's team scoring it's 100 percent you versus yourself or you versus the clock right right. i really like that dichotomy i really enjoyed having that separation where one season it was all about especially i was I, I wasn't a scorer. I was a point guard. I set things up, you know, so I loved sort of trying to figure out how to make my teammates better. Mm-hmm. But when it came to running, it was all about me and how do I get faster and right. how do I make myself faster? So I really loved having that, um, you know, having those differences as the season went on. I don't think I would have done well in high school if it was just like running, 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 running yeah. the entire time. So, um, and then, so like, what did, so, I mean, cause you obviously ran through, ran literally ran through high school um into into college um so what was like i always ask because i I picked up running like you said in a a later age i'm 36 now and i just started running you know maybe 32 33 um so like what was that like going from high school cross country and track and all that to you know to college what was that what was that transition like I mean, it was a, it was a pretty big transition for, for me. I think, you know, I, I'm 44, so I grew up in the era pre-internet, pre everything, you know? And so your world as an athlete is really confined to like your geographic area. You, you see what your, the, the teams and the athletes in your league are doing. Maybe you go to States and you get to see that, but we didn't have sort of the ability to just sort of understand what everyone across the country or even yeah. the world was doing like athletes do today. Yeah. So going to college was certainly a big adjustment for me. I came from a program. We didn't run a lot of miles. We were, um, you know, had a huge team and we were really successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but we weren't like coached to the, to the level that a lot of athletes are today. So mm-hmm. mileage wise, you know, adding indoor track into my season where basically you become a, a year round, you know, competitive athlete in college. Yeah. If you're running cross country, indoor track and outdoor track, that was a bit of an adjustment for me, but, um, but I loved it. I mean, I love that experience and I love the camaraderie of, of both cross country and track and field and, and being part of a team. Yeah. And, and so like what, cause I always, I've learned a lot from running, um, just in a short period of time, but I, I always kind of, it interests me to see someone that's been running for 30, you know, almost 30 years or so. Um, what, not to make you feel, it's like, yeah, hey, it's, I'm yeah, doing, like, I'm over here carrying the, carrying the one and stuff. Um, what have you learned from running um, that, but we'll jump to the business side too, like what have you learned from running that you feel like you apply to like an everyday basis in just business? I mean, discipline is an obvious one. Mm -hmm. I think delayed gratification is another one. I mean, you can't, 
running is unique in the sense that you can't step out the door on the first day and achieve anything other than completing what you set out to do. You know, it takes a lot of time, um, to, you know, get to a, get to a new level. And so those are things that certainly I think have helped me in my professional career. Mm -hmm. Um, I also just think the structure, I, I operate best with a little bit of structure. And so I think running can provide that for a lot of people, Mm -hmm. you know, if it's this, if it sort of becomes the, the central point of your day, personally, I'm a morning runner. You know, if I don't get up and out the door first, it's sort of like my day feels a little bit rudderless. Um, so those are just some things that I've, I've taken from it. I also, I mean, similarly to a lot of people, I do a lot of my best thinking while running. Mm. Um, I work through a lot of issues while running, um, whether personal or, or professional, right. You sort of just have that time alone. Um, and then I just, per- I, I love, pushing myself to sort of understand where my, where my limits are, where my boundaries are mentally and physically. So, um, those are the things I just, I love about running. Yeah. I mean, I I totally agree with a lot of that. And you, you, you mentioned, um, at different times, you know, in other interviews and things like that about delayed gratification. Um, could you, I mean, cause you, you, you say it a lot, so I know it must be something that really kind of like hits home with you. Um, and could you just put that could you kind of t- t- go a little deeper into that and talk about tips for, for people that are looking to start something, whether it be like a run club or like a coaching business or um, a competing clothing line or something like that? Uh, what, <laughs> <laughs> what, um, wh- what would you be your advice in kind of like the message around delayed gratification? Um, so, you know, I was a, I was a, um, psychology major in college. So that concept was, um, something I learned a lot about. And there's a famous experiment that a lot of people have probably heard of, um, where they gave, um, kids the choice, uh, between having, you know, a marshmallow now and then, and then two marshmallows later or, or two or or waiting 15 minutes and having more later, or you can have one thing now, right. And the, the kids that were willing to sort of delay what, to a kid was a great reward. Um, and then they followed them for a long period of time. And it ended up that those kids that were willing to sort of delay gratification, Mm -hmm. that's where sort of the phrase comes from, um, ended up just sort of being more successful by various, um, metrics. Now the studies have sort of been debunked around socioeconomic, um, issues and other things that maybe also came into play. But I think the concept is still a pretty valid one that if you are, um, willing to sort of wait for, you know, the result rather than needing this instant gratification. It's the opposite of instant gratification. Mm -hmm. And I think today, especially with social media and the world we live in so much is instantaneous and we want, we want the like button. We want the, the, the applause. We want everything immediately. Um, and I think that for most things in life, uh, especially the best things in life, they take a long time and, mm-hmm. and they take some, some grinding to try to get to the point where, you know, you can sort of sit back and, and, um, you know, feel proud about your accomplishment or something you did. So, so that's certainly something that I think anyone that's trying to start a business, it's not easy. There's, right. there's no single path. There's no easy path. It takes a long time to do it and to sort of get it to a point where it feels established. So as long as you go into it with that mindset that like, okay, it's not day one or week one or month one or even year one that this thing is going to really be firing all cylinders. It's going to take a long time. I think that's just a better uh, mental state to go into an endeavor like that. And it's the same with running, right? We we Mm -hmm. see this a lot where people show up, they're really passionate, they're really excited but it doesn't come in the first week or two weeks or even a month, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you expect those results to come right away, you're probably going to be disappointed. But if you have the sort of long long game in, in, in mind and you're willing to sort of come back and just be consistent, it's like no single workout, no yeah. single run is going to get you there. It's just yeah. the accumulation of consistency over a long period of time that will lead to success. So Yeah, I, I totally agree because, I mean, especially on the running side of things, it's like, you'll think that nothing's happening for so long um, in business too. It's like nothing, it just, you've been going at this for months and just no breakthroughs, no major, you know, PR or something like that. And then so one day you go to a race or something happens where all of a sudden you're just like, everything is clicking and yeah. you see so many 
like you said, so like in this day and age, just people are just looking for things to happen right away. Um, you see so many people like with social media and YouTube channels and things that could be going the right direction, but it's just like things fizzle out, you know, because it's like, yeah, this isn't really happening or it's not happening fast enough or I'm going to change yeah. and do something different. Um, yeah. I want to kind of, I want to come back to that point too, for, I wanna, in, in regards to Tracksmith, but I wanted to jump back to like college days or just after. Um, can you talk about your journey from, you know, college running and all that and what you studied in school to leading into Tracksmith in, you know, in 2014 when you started this thing up? Yeah, I have a really um, windy road to get there. I, you know, I really didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. Um, I sort of, um, you know, went to, went to college thinking, um, as, as maybe a lot of kids do, like, uh, pick a career that is, you know, when I was a kid, we had the game of life and it was like doctor, lawyer, teacher, you know, like those are the professions. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I, I really went into college, not having a full grasp on, on what I wanted to do. Um, and so after college, I sort of lucked out in the beginning. Um, my first job out of college was at IMG, which is a big sports marketing and management mm-hmm. firm. Um, and that at least gave me a little bit of insight into the sports industry, right. um, specifically at the time, sort of the digital side of where sports were going. So this was 2000, 2001. Right, right. Um, we were working with these sort of amazing, huge brands, whether it was Manchester United or the New England Patriots oh, wow. or Tiger Woods, trying to figure out what the internet was for, mm-hmm. for brands and athletes and teams, but then also advertisers who were sort of, you know, used to television, print and other, other means. So it was a great learning experience. I was super naive. I didn't know a lot. Um, but then, you know, I, I actually left that job, um, soon after, um, maybe a year, I was there maybe a year and, um, tried to start a company with two friends, um, not in the sports space at all, web services, um, didn't really go anywhere. Um, and then my, my career path is, is a, is a mess. Um, I tried finance for a while because a lot of my, uh, friends from college were, were doing things and, and, you know, living in New York city and, and making a lot of money. And then I thought, man, what am oh, I, you what did I do? How did I, how did I mess this up? Yeah. Um, so I tried that for a while. I tried business school. I did a lot of different things to be honest. Um, and, uh, what sort of put me back on the running path is, uh, my wife, um, ended up going to law school, um, at Georgetown. And so what I was doing, I, I had to stop and we moved down to DC yeah. and it was during that time that I really wanted to focus on running, but I had no idea where to start and what, and what to do. So, um, I came up with this idea for a project that, I would go to 11 of the best NCAA cross-country programs in the fall. This idea hatched over the summer. So in the fall, I wanted to go to 11 of the best NCAA programs. I wanted to spend a week at each one, and I wanted to document their lifestyle, you know, Mm -hmm. the athletes on the team. So I started, you know, blindly reaching out to coaches, pitching this idea. A lot of them were confused. Some said (laughs) no, but, but enough said yes. And then once I got the momentum, I had some yeses from big schools. And this was, you know, pre-flow track, pre-all of the sort of running media that that you know today. What year was that? This was like 2004, maybe, 2005, 2003, somewhere in that window. So that project was amazing. I I did the project. I spent a week at these 11 schools documenting everything. I was writing, I was um, photographing, and I was was doing videos, short videos. And I was average or below average at all three of those things, but combined, no one was doing anything like that. And so for a very niche audience, it was an amazing look behind the curtain of some of these top athletes and top programs, Colorado, Portland, Georgetown, William and Mary, and on and on. So that was just sort of a great, you know, learning experience for me. Um, I was literally all by myself. I funded the whole thing by myself through credit cards. I tried to sell subscriptions and t-shirts and try to make some money back. And so it's really like, it was really entrepreneurial. Um, and, and that sort of led to doing that project. Um, I caught the attention of, um, someone who represented a lot of the best Kenyan marathoners at the Mm -hmm. time. And so he reached out Tom Radcliffe and said, would you be interested in doing something similar? 
um, but following these athletes. So, so that project led into this other one. And I did a few seasons with, um, these Kenyan marathoners and they, at the time they were, they were the best in the world. Evans Ruto, Ben mm. Mayo, oh, wow. they were podium, you know, podium finishers at a lot of the majors, Timothy Cherigan. So I lived with them in Eten Kenya for a while, uh, their training camp in Boulder and just sort of, again, documented more the lifestyle and trying to sort of, um, bring their personalities to life a right. little bit. Right. I think, what I learned from that first project was that I went into it thinking all anybody's going to care about is like what the workout was, right, what the yeah. splits were, you know, and really what I learned pretty quickly is that people really wanted to know about the athletes, like, oh, the apartment they're living in, like, what's the house like? I yeah. see they're all riding their bikes to class. Like, you know, what, what's that all about, you right. know? And so, uh, so that just, that just opened my mind a little bit to sort of storytelling and, how to find those things that will engage a slightly wider audience. And so anyway, so those things snowballed. I did a few of those. I did a similar project um, with New York Roadrunners and, and USATF um, leading into the 2008 Olympic marathon trials in New York City. Mm-hmm. And then ultimately um, ended up at Puma. And that was a very traditional, um, you know, marketing role at a, at a large, you know. Right at a large brand. So that was kind of the like very long and, and sort of windy road. Um, no. and then, and then from, from Puma, you know, ultimately tracksmith. Um, so, yeah, no, I love that because I mean, I mean, the, like if probably outside looking in, you know, we look at you and a bunch of other people that, you know, are big names in this running industry or just in general. Right. And we just assume that, it's like that that fairy tale, like everything lined up perfectly, and you've been fighting for this your whole life, and then now you know now you're here. Um, yeah. And I just like that. You know, you made me feel good. I mean, because there's so many of us probably watching this or whatever that are just like, you know, we're in that point where we're just kind of bouncing around and we're trying to figure it out um, and just trying to enjoy the the journey of it. Because it did sound like you were also trying to enjoy what was happening and be fully invested in each thing. Um, and then I also really appreciate the fact that people caught on to like the lifestyle of the runners as opposed to like the splits and the VO2 max and all that stuff. And that, that's what I've tried to do with this show is, I mean, you can ask Sarah Hall or whatever what her like VO2 max is, but it's not going to apply to mine at all. You know, yeah, exactly. you know it, and it doesn't really help me much. But, you know, hearing her and other people say the what they go through and what what they process and the thoughts that they say their mantras and all that that gets them through you know training in the marathon and life in general so I, I i really do appreciate that um and so like what at what point though did because i know you i know you mentioned you know in other places that like you're frustrated with you know what was going on in the industry from you know maybe a fashion standpoint um so what brought about like hey i'm going to start a clothing company and we can go into like the, you know, the, the, the look of it later, but what really yeah. wanted, made you say like, Hey, this is what I'm going to try to do. Um, I mean, it wasn't really clothing necessarily in the beginning. So mm-hmm. the original sort of just ideation around this was, a, a you know, accumulation of my experience working in the industry, but also being a participant in the sport and also being a consumer of, of, of everything right, right, in, right. In, in the category. Um, so I always knew I wanted to start my own company, my own brand. Um, I've been entrepreneurial from very early days. I grew up around it. I just like, it was never a conscious decision. This right. is what I want to do, but I always wanted to pursue this path. Um, so I started just looking at the running industry as a whole and I was looking at, you know, yes, apparel and, and footwear and accessories, but also I was looking at um, technology and events and media and travel and sort of all of the things that are sort of around and in the category mm-hmm. um, and and sort of had a vision for a, a much broader sort of lifestyle running brand that was rooted in the culture and was very authentic but could touch many aspects of a runner's life. Mm-hmm. And through that research, you know, what became really obvious pretty quickly to me was that men's running apparel specifically was, um, very, very bland. It was very homogenous. Um, everything looked exactly the same. I repeat this all the time, but literally if you walked into like a running store in 2008, 
and yeah. you took logos off of the the apparel, you would have no idea what product belonged to what brand. There's just right. zero, you know, distinction between the brands. Other than, I mean, Nike's always had very strong brand DNA, and that would come across. But for most of the brands, um, they put all their attention into footwear, and so mm-hmm. apparel was like an easy place to enter the market, establish a brand um, in hopefully a you know relatively quick period of time. And then, as you've probably seen, if you've been following, sort of like we introduced women's um, product 10 months or so after we launched the brand, mm-hmm. we've gotten into accessories, we have events that we host, we have a print publication, we do a lot of different things. But really, like men's apparel was sort of strategically the entry point, yeah. just because looking at the market at the time, that seemed like the the easiest point of entry. Yeah, I mean, that, I think that's super smart. I mean, because like, there's... I feel like a lot of brands, um, even still probably to this day, kind of overlook the people that are in the middle that like really like doing this thing, and but they want to kind of look nice too and want to feel like somewhat elite ish, you know? Um, yeah. Was there was there was that done on purpose? I mean, because I do feel like when you look at like a tracksmith, um, you know, singlet or just anything from tracksmith, really, it seems like it's like an elite vibe to it you know um is that yeah. is that done intentionally yeah i mean um uh, i wouldn't get hung up too much on like the adjective but i'll describe how i thought about the opportunity mm-hmm. I, you know as a consumer there was sort of all of the brands seemed to put all of their time on the two opposite ends of the spectrum of mm-hmm. runners for lack of a better word it was either hyper elite we are trying to get Olympic gold medalist or was sort of the off the couch, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, run for the first time. And in the middle, which is where I, I was, was I'm never going to be at the Olympics, but I'm super committed to this. I want to push myself. I want to understand how much faster I can get. Yeah. I love the feeling of a hard workout, you know, afterwards. I love the journey. I love the process of training to get better. And it seemed like there were a lot of people who were in that category in the middle of this sort of, you yeah. know, spectrum. And so, Um, that was really, that's the target. I mean, we always talk about it internally as sort of a committed runner. It has nothing to do with what your PRs are, how many miles you run or anything like that. But there is this sort of shift that happens psychologically when you decide to commit to running, Mm -hmm. when you decide, wow, this is amazing. I want to see if I can get faster. And when that happens, you start to do a lot of things. You start looking for training plans or coaches or thinking about nutrition, you start making decisions that you never would have made previously about, man, I need to go to bed early because I'm going to do this long run tomorrow, or I'm not going to do that thing on Thursday night. And instead I'm going to go to the track with this, with this team and I'm going to do a a hard workout. Right. So those are the athletes that, and the runners that when we started and even today, that's, that's who we, that's who we connect with as a brand. That's who we speak to as a brand. And so to some that may come across as, as maybe elite, you, you could use that word to us. It's, it's not, it's, it's much more just around sort of being committed to mm-hmm. wanting to pursue your own personal, you know, um, uh, pursuits, yeah. um, and how much, how much faster, um, can you get? So, yeah, I mean, cause I, I just feel like, you know, the, the quality, obviously, I mean, we don't even have to talk about the quality cause we know it's there, but I just feel like the look of it, you know, not to say elite in the sense of like, Hey, um, I just ran a two thirty marathon or whatever, but just the concept of, like you said, fully committed. And you know, when I first started running, I was probably wearing like a t shirt, like a normal t shirt, and just thought like, hey, it is what it is. But then as you progress, you're like, yeah, I, you know, I wanna, I wanna go out sometimes looking like how I feel, because I mean, I'm dedicated to this. I run all the time. I wanna put something on that makes me feel like a runner, you know. Yeah. Um, no yeah. matter what the goal is, like if you're trying to get from a five hour marathon to a four thirty. You know, if you're out here all the time, it's like, hey, I want to look like a runner out here. And I, and I think that people obviously appreciate that. And the cool thing about Tracksmith is, like, from a mile away, you can see a Tracksmith singlet, which is pretty cool. That's true. That is, yeah, that's um, that's become a great, um, yeah, a, a great branding piece for us, for sure. But- and so, like, in Tracksmith, like, early days, I know you mentioned, like, delayed gratification and, you know, the concept of just... I mean, so many people and brands and things have started and just fell off because, or just stopped because it just wasn't working as fast. Can you, like, I mean, I know you probably don't want to relive all the hard times, but can you, like, tell tell us a time when you were like, this, I, like, I don't know if this is going to be a thing. Like, I don't know. I, I want to stop. I want to quit. 
uh, maybe this, maybe I need to go into one of the other things that I looked into, you know, around running. Was there a moment yeah. like that? And how'd you work through that? Um, I think the path to actually launching the brand, not that there weren't hurdles or, or roadblocks and stumbles along the way, cause there certainly were, but it was more after launching that I think sort of like, if I think about the most stressful times in the tracksmith journey, I think before you launch your, you know, like there's not as much pressure. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't <laughs> yeah, work yeah. out, you know, but once you've launched and you've sort of said, Hey, here we are, yeah. we're going to do this thing. There's a lot of pressure to do that thing. And so, uh, you know, uh, every, every brand that creates physical product, um, will have challenges, right? Making yeah. physical product is hard. There's an entire supply chain that exists and, and not a lot of consumers understand what goes in. I mean, you, you, you're doing this now, right? Like making a pair of running shorts may seem really easy, but you've got, you know, fabric suppliers, factories, yeah. trim suppliers. Um, right now we're in a global pandemic, you know, like, like shipping is, is ridiculous. No one can get anything anywhere. And, and yeah. so there's so many of those challenges Obviously, in the beginning, there wasn't a global pandemic, so um, I can't use that excuse. But there were like, <laughs> you know, I'll give you two two really specific examples. Um, as a business grows, you and you're small and and not super well funded, you have to buy your inventory before customers start paying for the product. So mm-hmm. you're sort of outlaying cash and buying this product mm-hmm. and then selling the product, and so that cycle is like, it can be really challenging, um, to manage that, especially when you're growing pretty quickly, which in, you know, our early days, you go from zero up. It's like, it's a, it's a pretty sharp curve in the beginning. So we struggled a lot with that. And there were times when I was like, I don't know if we're going to be able to like pay the bills at the end of this month, because we just bought all this inventory. It's sitting, you know, somewhere across the the ocean waiting to get to our our (laughs) warehouse, which was our office. We were doing all of our fulfillment ourselves, you know. So there was definitely some moments around just cash management that I never, when I started Tracksmith, I was never thinking about cash flow. Like I didn't even understand what that concept was. And then once you start spending your money, you quickly realize how that process works. So you're like, flow. Yeah. 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 No, no. So it's like, oh, you're like, oh, cash flow. I get it. The the, the <laughs> flow is the yeah. You want it to keep. Yeah, I get it now. Exactly. If you could go back in time, it's like I would. You know, I create some like digital company where you don't have to worry about physical product. You know, who would have thought? Um, who would have thought digital? That's not entirely true. But <laughs> the um, the other, you know, certainly like cash flow um, can be can be um, can be challenging the other is just like product you know quality and and you know there are things that can happen that you really don't know or 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 um, you know don't have a lot of control over in our first year of business for example we had bought a lot of our Van Cortland singlet and shorts mm-hmm. um, which is you know one of our first first products that we introduced um, we didn't have the resources of the big brands to do a lot of, um, all of the like wash testing and different mm-hmm. things that you would do at the factory level. So we were doing that ourselves, but we right, were also right. like flying by the seat of our pants. So we get the shipment in of singlets and shorts in Navy blue and our product <laughs> developer would take stuff home. You know, she would wash it. We would have a few of the employees start running in it like crazy, you know, and everything, yeah. even though we were wear testing before we produce stuff, you also wear test after production to make sure it comes right. out exactly how you envision. So we, we put the products up on the website. We sold like, you know, a dozen that day. And that night my product developer calls me and she's like that. I just put this stuff through the wash and like the ink, the dye is running all over the place, you know? And it just so happened that the dye process wasn't done correctly. And we oh. had a thousand of these mm. units, which at the time for us was a lot you know, that were completely useless. And and thankfully only like a dozen went out the door and we contacted those customers oh, and man. were able to pull that back. But like, you know, those are the things that on the outside people don't see, they don't think about, you know, they just sort of, you know, see the veneer of a brand and they don't really always get the back, the backstory of what's going on. So there's plenty of challenges when you're, when you're making physical product. That, that that's that's crazy. I'm like I just got I just got like nervous thinking about a thousand, yeah, a thousand <laughs> items. Like oh my god. 
Um, so yeah, that that's the only reason why I haven't ordered a thousand shirts yet, so because I don't want to do that. But exactly. So exactly. Uh, and also too, like so we talked about some of the hard times. Like you've you had a great run, um, and it just seems like every everything you're just picking up steam as you go along, which is dope to see. Um, what are some of the best one of the best memories of this whole thing? The last seven, you know, years that just stands out as like the thing that you remember the most so far. Man, that's a that's a tough one. Um, I there's a few things, I guess. I I still remember the first photo shoot we ever did. Um, I think our photography is is unique and distinct yeah. in the category, and because we do it in a really unique way. Because it, having worked in the industry, I saw how a lot of photo shoots were done, and I wanted to sort of think about how to do that in a different way to create a more emotional connection because we were a, a digital brand. We didn't have the chance to like, you know, a consumer comes into a running shop, yeah, yeah. you know, the sales associate pulls something off the rack and yeah, tells yeah. the story. We had to tell the story. And so we had to find a way to do that in a way that was really compelling. So I still remember that first photo shoot. It was just super special. Um, Emily May was our photographer. We still work with her today. Almost all of the photography you see from Tracksmith is done by her. And, you know, we just sort of developed a, uh, a process and a way to do that. That is, um, that's really unique. And so that, that certainly will, I'll remember. I remember really clearly hitting our one year anniversary. That's a pretty big milestone. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, we were a small team and, working out of this tiny office and still fulfilling all of the orders ourselves yeah. and, you know, doing customer service from, you know, you'd be sitting next to someone who's on a phone with a customer and, you know, six or seven of us in the office. That's those, those early days will always, you know, be really special. Yeah. And then I would say more recently, you know, we just came off um, the Olympic trials and yeah. we, you know, we have five athletes yeah. that, that representing Tracksmith going, going to the Olympic games, which, you know, I, I, I don't think I would have said that, that that was something that, that would happen, um, this quickly, um, yeah. for the brand. Um, so that was, that's been really, really great to see. Yeah. I mean, I think that somehow you must be like looking at my notes here. So you answered that one. <laughs> Let me cross that up. So, I mean, I can't, I know, right? I can't see what, what, like, what's that? Yeah. Well, that's the next question was, I mean, yeah, you guys got, you have people going to Tokyo, um, and you had a bunch of people at the trials. I mean, because that's, that's big. You know, like if we just stopped there, like you had a bunch of athletes competing strong in the, in the Olympic trials. But now you have people going to Tokyo as well wearing your, your, your gear. Like how does that feel? And, you know, like and I know like I don't get to talk to the team. You know, a lot of people see you and then the athletes, but they don't get to talk to your you know, the team that's helping you put all this together. Like how do you all feel just as a whole? I mean... It's been pretty special, to be honest. So when we did um, in Atlanta for the Olympic marathon trials, you know, that was like a, a really special moment for the brand. Mm -hmm. What happened there, we had um, our OTQ program. So we we had a few employees and also sort of friends of the brand, athletes that we had used in photo shoots and, and different things um, who either had the Olympic trials standard or were chasing it. Mm -hmm. And it sort of very organically came out of that like could is there anything we could do to support these athletes uh -uh. we we you know they're not i shouldn't say they're not good enough but they weren't fast enough uh, on paper to get sponsorships from the big brands but yeah. they obviously are competing at a very high level making the olympic trials yeah. you know and so we just thought is there a way that we can support them with gear we brought in some other brands and they were getting some coffee and nutrition and some other things and what happened was that started with us thinking we would have a dozen or two athletes in the program. And with each marathon that went by and more and more athletes getting the Olympic trial standard, we just had more and more people, you know, apply for and, 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 and come into the program. Yeah. So when we were in Atlanta in February of, of 2020, I mean, we had 130 some athletes, um, you know, wow. in, in the marathon trials across yeah. the men's and the women's race. And, if you were in Atlanta and you watched the race, you know, it, it was noticeable. It was, yeah. you know, those singlets were, were everywhere and it was really special. That's never like, you know, we don't, we don't have a sports marketing department. We don't play in the same arena that the big brands do, mm -hmm. but it was really, 
um, special. And, and I think internally, everybody was just really excited and happy and proud about that. And then what happened from there is we, we sort of said, well, you know, the, the track and field trials are coming up. How do we sort of, you know, continue this program? And so we, we created the amateur support program. Mm -hmm. Um, and at first we were sort of thinking, well, it's just going to be the distance runners because they were part of the OTQ. A lot of them had also qualified or were chasing the 10,000 meter or 5,000 meter standard. But it really became obvious really quickly that two things, one, there's a lot of athletes in track and field with no support. They're out there for the love. They're chasing their dreams and their goals without any sort of um, financial or or gear or other support. Mm-hmm. And two was track and field. You know, for me, having having been involved since literally my freshman year of of high school, I've always loved. What's really unique about track and field it is, is it is probably the most diverse um, sport literally in, in the U.S. at least, um, at at any level, high school or college. And I don't necessarily mean racial diversity. I mean gender, racial, Mm -hmm. body type diversity. It literally is all different types of athletes from all socioeconomic backgrounds, all racial backgrounds coming together, trying to achieve a goal together. So my memories of track and field in high school and college are some of my strongest memories. So we opened up that program to all disciplines, all events, and, you know, all of a sudden we've got you know, five athletes, you know, qualified for the Olympic trials. But in that program, we had 30 competing at the Olympic trials across, I don't know, a dozen or more disciplines, you know, throwers, jumpers, sprinters, Mm -hmm. multi-eventers, and distance runners. And so that was just a really, a really, really special moment. I was in Eugene. A few employees got a chance to go to Eugene and experience that. And to be in the stadium when, you know, if you've got 100 athletes wearing your gear, and you have no personal connection to them. It's yeah. just, you know, you you politely clap. But when someone is, like, invested in you and you're invested in them, yeah, and there's yeah. a personal connection, it just means so much more. So that that was really special. And, and after the Olympic trials, we have an internal team meeting, you know, twice a month. And so we invited the five Olympians that qualified sort of as a surprise to our team meeting. So we were all in the Zoom, and sort of five minutes into it, they all sort of popped into the Zoom. and. Yeah shared their experiences. People got to ask questions. So it was really, you know, that was really cool. The athletes loved it, but the employees loved it just as much. So, yeah, that, that's awesome. I mean, I, and I actually ended up, I was at the Atlanta, um, Olympic trials. So I, I have like videos of the massive amount, you know, group of guys going by and the women and you, like, if you slow that down for a second, cause they were going fast, you know, yeah. uh, but if you slow it down for just, just a second, you could, you see it was tracks with like literally everywhere. So that was really yeah. cool to see as well. Um, but I, 20, you know, we're in a global pandemic and I mean, I won't, everybody knows like the issues with, you know, shipping and all that other stuff. And, but coincidentally, like 2020 was the year when all this kind of started happening, you know? Um, but then also 2020 was a big year for, um, diversity and Black Lives Matter movement and some of the, you know, the injustices that were happening, continue to happen, all that stuff. Um, and as a brand, I watch, or as a bystander, watching how certain brands have done their thing around it. Um, some did a good job, some didn't. And I feel like you all did a great job with that. And I just wanted to see what your what your thoughts were on how you handled it and why you went the way you guys went with it um, as a CEO of a company around what happened last year. Yeah, I mean, it's obviously a very, um, you know, sensitive and delicate um thing to navigate um as a brand and as a as a ceo Mm -hmm. and what drove us as a company was making sure that everything that we did or how we thought about it was sort of rooted in the authenticity of our brand because i think what a lot of the mistake that a lot of um and, and we're not perfect by any stretch but i think that the mistake that a lot of brands make is sort of going outside of why they exist to try to like tap into or, or out of fear, do these things. And it comes across, can come across as very inauthentic. And like an example I can give you that we probably all saw was brands that during that period of time specifically would do things like shop today and 10% of proceeds will go to support Black Lives Matters or some other organization. And to me, that just felt 
really weird, if I'm being honest, to sort of ask someone to buy something from us to then be able to, you know, donate versus just making the decision to do that on our own. So we tried to refocus or focus all of our efforts on things that made sense for us in the running space. The best example that um, that I can give of of what we did is um, we I had known Russell Dinkins, um, who was a a runner um, at Princeton, um, but he became a little bit the face of saving college track and field programs. Mm -hmm. So he's the one that when first it was Brown. So Brown cut their uh, men's track and field program. And as a Princeton athlete, he sort of came to the fore and, and, and really rallied people to try to save the men's track and field program for um, really good and, and genuine reasons. And his main argument and, and the argument of others is that track and field is usually, again, the most diverse program right. at the university level and not just racial diversity, but also socioeconomic and other reasons. Right. And so we basically have supported Russell's, um, his efforts. So right. we've been able to pay Russell a monthly stipend to continue to do this work. So he was able to save Brown, but then Clemson was the next one, which came to national prominence, really. And he was instrumental in saving Clemson track and field. And, and then there's been a handful of other programs. And Russell was out in, in Eugene with us. And, you know, it's this isn't going to stop the, the idea of cutting men's track and field um, or track and field in general. It's not necessarily going to be specific to men, but because of Title IX and some other nuance in that, it's mm-hmm. usually the men's program. So that's just an example where, Rather than sort of a blanket, you know, idea or concept, we could get really specific. We could support someone that was part of our community. Russell actually was one of the first athletes we were going to ever shoot. When I mentioned that first photo shoot, Russell was one of the first athletes I reached out to, but there was a conflict in scheduling and he couldn't make it. But so I've always, I've always, you know, known and and known Russell and um, have really appreciated the, the work that he's done. So, so that was, you know, that was just an example of, of a way that we, um, tried to do something that that felt really genuine, um, yeah. and also supported someone that was doing something that we we could speak about as a brand that felt authentic. Yeah, yeah, and and I think too um, on the visual side, um, you, you know, marketing standpoint, but you just like on the visual storytelling, uh, you know, you guys to me, I mean, do a really nice job with um, you know making. You know, making the ads and the things or the the stories that you're telling, you know, via visual, whether it's like, um, whether it's in an ad somewhere or whether it's on Instagram or whatever, it, you know, in some of these little short movies and like kind of films you guys have, has, have been doing. I just think that they're really cool because it shows what, you know, running really looks like or should look like, you know, um, we, we talk about I'm from the Detroit area and, you know, if you go to a, the race, the big race here in, in, in the Detroit Free Press, it's you know overwhelmingly you know one you know one race and when Detroit is overwhelmingly the other race you know so we're it's it's kind of weird that it's you don't see as many people at races and I would love to know because um, I'm sure you've seen it and been been around plenty of marathons and all that stuff what are your thoughts on like how um it's probably out of your scope I mean because you don't you know you guys are on a run club but what do you what would be your thoughts on how we as a as a community running community can get more folks of diverse backgrounds just to start on the start lines of these races. Cause we know that there's people jogging around, but how do you kind of inspire folks and, and rally that together? I mean, I don't really know what I'm looking for, but I just would love to hear what your thoughts are on making the start line more diverse. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. I mean, there's a lot of conversation around, around this and, and you sort of like I've, I mentioned you sort of have two ends of the, of the spectrum here where track and field is extremely diverse, um, in, in the U S but elsewhere. Mm -hmm. But then if you were to sort of say marathons or trail running or other, you know, aspects within athletics, they're not as diverse. So that's a really good question. And I certainly don't have the answers. I think to be honest, I've followed a lot of what what you and 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 we run three one three has done, and some of the other sort right. of run crews. I mean, I'm obviously know Knox very well. I know Knox was just in Detroit with yeah. you guys yeah. and and telling that story. I think it's just more of that. I think that when people see that, um, it can be it can have a really really powerful impact um, on 
on what people think is um, acceptable, mm-hmm. what people think is achievable. And so, you know, you, you, you referenced it a little bit. I think what you're trying to get at is that as a brand, we do try to show a broad spectrum of representation. Yep. And we have from the beginning, our, our very first photo shoot that we did included people of color on the men's and the women's side. Mm-hmm. Um, not as a conscious decision, because in 2014, this wasn't the hot topic that it is today. It was more just, again, our experiences coming from the world of track and field and being around these different athletes, different body types, different races, that felt like a really natural extension. It didn't seem like something that necessarily had to be done. But over time, it's become clear that more and more we need to do that. We need to show this so that, you know, so that people can can see it. And, and I think that idea of, you know, needing to sort of, I still think you can be aspirational as a brand um, and, and, you know, like, I'm, I'm not necessarily like the idea of, of uh, a brand has to be uh, and, and show everything and be for everyone. Mm-hmm. I think that would be really boring if you didn't have a strong and sharp point of view and focus. Mm-hmm. But I think within our sharp point of focus around committed runners, there is a lot of, of range of, of possibilities of what we can show and how we can tell a story and how we can bring that to life. And, you know, we've, we've done a bit of that, but we will continue to do more and know that there's a lot more work to do. So, so I think there's on the brand side for all the brands and running, there's certainly more work that could be done there. Mm-hmm. But I think uh, things that that you're doing, I look at Knox obviously and what he's done, or Charlie in London with Run Them Crew and different yeah. things. Where you know, as someone that's been involved in the sport for literally 30, 30 some years, as you um, painstakingly uh, <laughs> did the math for me. Um, it's amazing to see that, you know, yeah. and it's amazing to see. I, I, I saw you ran 240 something and you started running like four years ago. I mean, that's that's absolutely incredible. And I watched a little bit of some of the stuff that that Knox put together about your your group yeah. and, you know, where people come from and, and what they're used to seeing as, you know, role models, yeah. um, family units and different things. And and sort of, you know, having the um having sort of desire to create some new versions of that and mm-hmm. to be able to show, I know you have a son, right? Just to be able to show that to your son. Knox always talks about that, about how influenced he was by his father. Mm-hmm. His father at the time was not normal to be out there running and doing these road races. He was, he was one of the few black men that was, that was doing this thing. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about, you know, those pioneers on the men's and women's side. And, and so to see more of that, to be able to, you know, help people like Russell to be able to support different groups mm-hmm. and bring that, you know, bring that more to the surface. I think that's, you know, ultimately, um, I think seeing it is a thing that's ultimately going to lead to to more of that. So yeah, man, very very well said. And yeah, if you can, I haven't even seen the damn the, the thing that Knox has sh- not showed you. I'm like, I'm like, wait, what did he show you? Like, <laughs> I've seen some clips. Okay, all right, clips. all right. Yeah, I, I can't wait to see what what they put together. Um, and while we're on Knox, I wasn't gonna say that he asked the question, but I said, you know, I know that you guys, you know, he's known you for quite some time, and he uh, said, hey, man, throw me some questions. Um, so I can ask. And if you guys have any questions, we got a few more minutes with, with Matt. If you have any questions, ask them now. Make them quick. Don't make them like weird long ones like I just did. But um, one of the questions that, that Knox had uh, was what, I'm sure he probably asked you, but um, what do you see as the future of running? Mm. Um, so uh, how do I say this in a way that dis- doesn't necessarily give away uh, all of the things that we're going to do as a brand. Nobody's, nobody's, think, nobody's watching, Matt. It's just me and you. <laughs> it's just me and you. I, I swear, nobody's watching. No, I, I think that, um, I think that uh, the bar, the bar in running relative to other professional and commercially successful sports is really low. And I think that um, the future, whether or not Tracksmith is a part of that, um, will involve content, media, events, mm-hmm. and community. I think those are where the sport will go, or at least I would hope that they would go in a way that will uh, elevate it, elevate it to uh, a point where people people give a damn. You know, right now the reality is running as a sport 
outside of every four years when there's an Olympics, very few people care. Um, but I think some of the inherent qualities of running are uh, easily transferable to a mass audience. And I think storytelling can be an extremely powerful tool. And, you know, we've always started scratching the surface, I think, of what that can be. And so I would hope that the sport ends up in a place where it, it sits alongside other uh, mass interest sports. And, 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 you know, I grew up in an era in the eighties, I would see running on the cover of sports illustrated or inside sports illustrated. Mm -mm. You know, I would in the early days be able to watch any of the major marathons live on national TV, whether it was local broadcaster, then in that sort of introduction of ESPN and all those, Mm -hmm. you would see it. And now, I mean, other than like scandals, we never hear about running or track and field, you know, (laughs) other than an Olympic year. So I think there's an opportunity to bring that back. I think some of the movement that's happened in the last five to 10 years, um, just in terms of the people coming into the sport, you know, it, it, it has become more, uh, yes, diverse racially, but I just mean more diverse, like, uh, in terms of, of, of the people that come into it, their interests, their backgrounds, you've got sort of a creative class that has adopted running as a means of expression, adopted running as a means of self-reflection and meditation. Mm -hmm. And I think all of those things line up for an opportunity to make running something that a lot of people pay attention to and care about. So that's what I, I, that's what I, I hope we sort of see 10 years from now. Well, now, yeah, I wasn't excited about the future running until now. So I appreciate that. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I just joking. Yeah. I I think that's, I think that's, that sounds good. And yeah, and you're, you're, it is lacking certain, certain areas, which you've, you know, definitely named. So um, I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with, um, and I, I can't wait to like, hopefully I'm still running in 10 years. I can't wait to line up at like a race somewhere and you know, it, it looks and feels different. You know, it looks and feels like the real city, you know, that it's in, you know? Yeah. So, um, I can't, yeah, I can't or just, ex- or just excitement. You know, I think, uh, I think that there's such an opportunity to create, I mean, excitement, uh, the, you're excited, right? You get to the starting line, you're nervous, you're excited. That, mm-hmm. that is exciting. But I think it's sort of like, if we think about spectators or, uh, yeah. media or people that sort of cover these events, I think that there's a lot that could be improved to sort of, um, create more interest. And then once you're able to do that and you can sort of create an economic engine around that, then you're able to sort of transform other aspects of it. So, so I think you're right. I think there's, you know, so much opportunity in, in how the sport actually comes to life and how it gets presented to an audience. I mean, cause I mean, it's, it's crazy. Like, I mean, the, the lack, like I'm super excited. Like if I watch like a marathon on TV, cause I, I like, know some of the names and things, yep. but it's just crazy that like how, how athletic these these ladies and guys are out there like the best at like lebron james would would probably say like he never could even imagine running 201 39 you know yeah but, like these yeah. people are crazy gifted um it, it, like to insane levels and they just and like the attention on it is just so oddly low you know like and yes. hopefully that happens through storytelling and now you see like on youtube and way like us like sweat elites kind of showing the other side of this training thing um, and you guys are, are storytelling with your with your athletes and have people in Tokyo. I just think that hopefully that all just can, continues to roll together to the point where like people should know some of these people's names. I mean, not because they need like recognition, but it's this is a great sport. And even if you just do it on a super low level, it helps your life in so many different ways, like you talked about in the beginning of the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, so I don't want to you know keep you forever because I feel like this could just keep going because I have like ten thousand more questions. Um, but if you could help me bring this race to an end, what would you say to people watching this um, that are runners, entrepreneurs, just humans, you know, whatever, like something to leave us with that will kind of keep us going or like keeps you going when in, t- in times like when it get tough running, when it gets tough in business, when it get tough in life? Um, without sort of going to the classic cliches, um, I mean, I think that um, time is, is something that, uh, we don't necessarily think about or talk about a lot just Mm -hmm. in terms of an expectation of how long things might, might take. Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, when I was starting 
putting the pieces together for Tracksmith, there were um, a lot of people who would tell me, oh, look at what this brand did. You should do that. Or Mm -hmm. when I started, I did this. And so I think you should do that. And I got caught up in that for a little bit. And then I started to realize that like, there are so many variables, right? No matter who we are. So you can apply this literally to your running and training. You can apply it to your personal life. You can apply it to being a parent. You can apply it to your professional career. There's no two paths that are exactly the same. And so I do think um, that people just need the time and space to sort of figure things out. And they need to be able to sort of think about what could work for their situation. Again, that could apply to, to whatever. And I, and we live in a society that I think too much focuses on success and mm-hmm. taking that success and trying to apply it directly to something else. And there are no two success stories that are exactly right, the right. like. There are no two paths to get to, you know, why that are exactly alike. Mm-hmm. And part of the human journey and the runner's journey is experimenting and understanding. You might be responding incredibly well to long runs, but not really well to faster speed workouts. And so you just have to figure out how that's going to apply to you and how you can sort of use that to get better. Right. You know, and, and again, that I could literally make analogies across every aspect of life. Yeah, yeah. But I think we, we don't often take the time to just try to learn and understand and be okay with failing, mm-hmm. be okay with trying something for a year and then realizing that it doesn't actually, you know, work and having yeah. to pivot and try yeah. something else. And that's okay. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm, you can sort of see where I'm going. I'm, I'm not a huge fan of like the idea of immediate gratification yeah, yeah. and copying what this person does and, and yeah. trying to sort of emulate things. I think everyone has to, you know, figure out their own path and, and how to make it work. Yeah, yeah, I super appreciate that. Um, Is that too cheesy? No, no, I just think that people. <laughs> yeah, I just think I just think people don't like you know give things enough time and don't give themselves enough grace because they feel like they should be doing something faster or better because like this world of comparison, we compare ourselves to everyone. Um, yeah. And you know, if I started this show and I'm gonna look at this other show that's doing it and they got more people and I'm like, what's what am I doing wrong or whatever? Yeah, um, we do it all the time, and then especially in the running community, we you know. I'm built like this guy. Why can't I run as fast or something or whatever? Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or, you know, I started running three years ago and I did the 248. And somebody may look at that like, oh, well, I should be there or something. Or I may look at somebody else and think that I should be faster, you know? So yeah. I just, I, I like all that. And, and I think that, you know, we'd all be a little happier if we did gives us a, give ourselves more time and grace and, um, and try things and just not compare. So yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. And some. And I'm gonna close this out, but it's not a question. Brian says he would love to see Tracksmith Detroit gear. So, let us know when you got that Tracksmith Detroit dropping. Um, and I need some help though, really quick, because we're giving away. Is that the track and field hat you have on right now? It is. Okay, so yeah. that's the track and field hat. It comes in, I think, three different colors. Well, the center piece is. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's three different colors. So I need you to pick a number between one and forty. Uh, and 13. It, 13, I'm about to say, this is important. Okay, so let me see who's number 13. Oh, that's funny. So Brian Walski just won the Tracksmith hat, uh, and he's like the last, <laughs> he's he's the the last person to comment. Uh, Detroit gear. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, so Brian, you won. Um, congratulations. I'll hook up with you later to give you the information on how to get the hat. Um, Matt, thank you so much for you know being taking some time um and just giving us some of the information and just giving us your thoughts on this industry and all that thanks for what you do in the industry and i just appreciate it and that's all i got man hey thank you i mean honestly like i think uh i I maybe should have said this from the top but i think what you're doing is inspiring you know again i have gotten a little sneak peek of of what (laughs) i've been working on and and it's um it's it's different it's unique and i think really inspiring and motivating and i and i think i hope that more stories like this can be told in the future so um i have a lot of a lot of respect yeah i appreciate that i appreciate appreciate that a lot and um everyone who's listening to this make sure you go check out uh, check check out tracksmith if you haven't i mean i don't know where you've been but check them out 
Um, and then also just stay tuned to what they have coming along that he will not tell us on this live because it will probably spoil the rest of their plans. And if you're watching this still, please make sure you do something for me, which is run, eat, sleep, and repeat. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Tommy. Peace Appreciate out, it. No problem. Thank you. Yeah. Taylor, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> Matt is um, he's just a cool guy. Like, it, the brand, it's like talking to him on this episode and getting to know him a bit more and really finding out like the motivation behind things and like the the care that he takes to make sure that his brand's uh, mission and identity uh, and story is out there and then also finding ways for us as just normal runners and things to be able to attach that link to it and really vibe with what they were doing what they're doing there and also find our own story in their story i think it's just absolutely incredible and um as an entrepreneur and as a run entrepreneur i love being able to talk to people like this and also being able to ask questions that you know other people may have and that i have and some of the answers, I mean, it doesn't, just like all these running questions and things like that, it doesn't always have to be specifically towards a business. I mean, some of the advice and things that I've picked up from this episode, I'm going to use in my daily life. And I hope, I hope and hopefully you all um, get that vibe as well and can move forward with your business or your personal lives or whatever, or just your work life in general um, and run life to just be better, happy, healthy, runners, people, humans, spouses, friends, parents, children, all that stuff. So I'm rambling now. I'm in a good mood today. This is a great episode. Thanks so much, Matt Taylor. Make sure you guys follow us. S subscribe to this right now. Hit the subscribe button. Like it. Share it. Uh, download it. Um, send it to Mars and back because I heard if you get a, a podcast to Mars and back it'll give you like extra views and extra listens or whatever uh, so do that uh, look that up google it Tommy Run said so and follow us on Instagram at, at the run eat sleep show and you'll be able to check out the visual version of this as always love you guys check out the next episode coming soon peace <laughs>